Would you take your Bibles, please? And now turn to the book of Joel. So you got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. You've gone too far. Go back. If you're visiting though and you have that black Bible in your hand, start at the beginning and find page 647. And that black Bible there in the chair in front of you, 647, you'll find that, Joel chapter one. So again, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. You've gone too far. Go back. I think I read, and I thought about reading Joel the whole thing like this morning, but... I, I decided not to. Maybe uh, the last Sunday I'll do that, which will be um, uh, May 27th. Maybe I'll do that. It took me, I think, 10 minutes to, leave it, to read it out loud, the book of Joel. And I like to do this because it gives you a plethora of genres that's used in the Bible. I mean, you have, uh, we went through historical narrative. We did the book of Exodus, I think before that we did first, didn't we do first Peter before that? I think we did one Peter before that. So you get epistle, you get historical narrative, but then there's prophecy and almost apocalyptic language as well. Like the, the, the end of time, the disaster that will come, the catastrophe that will come when Jesus returns. So I wanted us to look at the book of Joel and it's, it'll only be for this month, just four Sundays. So we're gonna do that. I'm gonna read just the first chapter and then we'll begin our study. So Joel chapter one. Everybody there? Nobody's in Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. You're not there, are you? Like, where is it? Go back. Okay. Joel chapter one. The word of Yahweh that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it and let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. What the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake, drunkards, and weep. And wail, all you wine drinkers, on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come against Yahweh's land, mighty, and without number, its teeth are the teeth of a lion and has the fangs of a lioness. It has made my vine a waste and my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white. Wailed like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the libation are cut off from the house of Yahweh. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. The field is ruined. The land mourns. For the grain is ruined, the new wine dries up, fresh oil fails. Verse 11, be ashamed, O farmers. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine dries up, the fig tree fails, the pomegranate, the palm also, the apple tree, all the trees of the field dry up. Yes, truly, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, O priest. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. 
For the grain offering and the libation are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of Yahweh your God and cry out to Yahweh. Alas for that day. For the day of Yahweh is near and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Has not food been cut off before our eyes? Gladness and joy from the house of our God. The seeds shrivel under their clods. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down for grain is dried up. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Yahweh, I cry. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field long for you for the water brooks are dried up and the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. And then the title of the article that I have here is, quote, here's why you need to stop taking life so seriously after reading a chapter of the Bible like that. (laughs) So what are the symptoms that show you're taking life too seriously? Let me tell you. You're constantly worrying about the smallest things. You don't deal very well with uncertainty. You're afraid of embarrassing yourself. You're afraid of being wrong or mistaking, or excuse me, making a mistake. You're afraid of looking silly. You're overly self-conscious. You're prone to get hurt, anxious, angered, overwhelmed, offended, frustrated, or stressed. You're incapable of self-deprecating humor, you're constantly forced, excuse me, you're constantly focused on threats rather than opportunities. So those are the symptoms if you're taking life too seriously. And that's not necessarily wrong. I mean, it's true. Many of us do take life way too seriously. It's good for us to see the lighter side of life. But usually, When tragedy hits, when troubles come, uh, it's hard to see the lighter side of life, isn't it? Life does not become light. Life becomes more serious. And rightly so. Troubles hit because we live in a lost world. Troubles come because we live in a fallen world, don't we? Think about your health. It takes a turn for the worst. Relationships, a job, school. And when it does, how do we respond? When life doesn't go as you expected, I know that probably never happens to you. But let's just say, when life doesn't go as you expected, what's our attitude? I did a lot of studying this week. What's the the main theme for the book of Joel? And I mean, I could tell you the day of the Lord. Okay, yeah, sure. What does that mean? What does that tell us? Well, maybe this might unpack it a little bit more for you. Um... Help drive it home, the theme. Take God seriously. He judges and saves. 
That's what Joel's all about. So if you forget things over the next four weeks, which you might, a few things, but if anything, I think it would be good for you to remember, and for me, it's this. What's Joel all about? Take God seriously. He judges and he saves. Take him seriously. And as we come here to chapter one, this is what we'll see from chapter one. When troubles hit, listen. And notice how it goes along with the main theme, taking God seriously. We take God seriously when troubles hit. We take him so seriously, we listen. What? God, what do you want me to know? How do you want me to respond? That's what this first chapter is all about. I'll put uh, other statements for you. Uh, when troubles hit, what's our response? Does it drive us to our Savior and Lord in deeper loving ways? Does it drive us to repent and seek God out? Does it drive us to His Word? Or do we remain callous? Do we remain dull of hearing? Are we even listening to God when he providentially brings storms into our lives? In a few moments, we will sing mercies anew. And when the storms come and rage, your mercies are anew. How, how do we respond to God? Are we listening? He's trying to get our attention through circumstances, through events. Some of these things he brings into our lives to discipline us. Yes, that's true. But some things just to test us. Either way, does it matter? We should listen. So to be attentive to our Lord and his word, that doesn't cause anxiety, depression, worry, or stress. No, on the contrary. It helps to relieve because our trust is in El Shaddai. That's what you see there in verse uh, 15. The Almighty It's the Hebrew El Shaddai, the Almighty God. Look, if you don't trust Him today, you should fear Him. But if you truly trust Him, then you have nothing to fear because He'll be on your side. He is. He's on the side of His people. Those who trust Him, those who listen, those who hear, those who are attentive to him. And this is very important for the people of Judah because there are some people in Judah who weren't listening. And God's gonna say, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish. That doesn't matter. It was quite funny. I was actually talking to a guy in Jerome on Friday who was actually, he he was actually adopted, but he was kind of Jewish. And I said, I had, this past week I was studying. He said, well, we're studying. Well, let me tell you, I started going to it. You know, it's not about Jews thinking that they're the main deal. They're, they're God's chosen people. We're God's chosen people. God's gonna say, it's not about that. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. What matters is that you're listening to God. He kind of got a little uncomfortable with that. Anyways, listening, listening to God. And Joel is gonna describe an actual locust plague calling the people to repent. Not only to stop the effects of the plague, but 
to continue the worship of Yahweh, not just to continue the worship of Yahweh, but really to trust Yahweh God. For only those who take God seriously are true worshipers. Only those who take God seriously are the ones who are truly listening. Those who take, don't take God seriously by not trusting Him or coming to Him with a repentant heart, they will face His just judgment. You will. So notice verse four, this is the locust plague. What the nine locusts has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. It's a threefold, fourfold repetition. It's used to show their ferocious appetites. We'll talk more about the fangs and the teeth. Nothing remained. They devoured everything. Specifically, fine. Fig trees, crops, trees, everything, gone. This truly happened. All was impacted. Nothing was left. And so Joel is going to call the people. He's going to try and get their attention. And you're going to see four different groups of people. I think I have it on the screen for you. Yes. Four main groups in society are called to observe this trouble. Notice. Elders, drinkers, leaders, farmers. That little er is there for you, right? So you remember Elders, drinkers, leaders, farmers. Elders, the ruling people, uh, political leaders, so to speak. The wine drinkers, they delight in the abundance. Wine was a vice for them. But there's other implications for the word wine as well, so we'll look at that in a moment. Life's luxuries, what they enjoyed. The leaders in terms of spiritual leaders, the religious leaders, the priests, and then forth. The land farmers, they planted, they cultivated, they harvested. They gave life's essentials to the people. So it's actually, it's, it's a way to try and call everybody. Whether you're in politics or you're just the guy, Joe Blow down the road is just doing his thing. Everybody, listen, says Joel. Says God through Joel. Notice first with the leaders or the elders, verse two and three. He says, listen, hear this. Rousing appeal to them. Consider the gravity of their conditions. Are they listening when things go wrong? Are we listening when troubles come? Or are we dull in hearing? And notice he says, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. He's calling everybody. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it, verse three. And let your sons tell their sons, and their sons tell their sons, and their sons tell their sons, and everybody tell their other sons. Why does he do this? Why does he say this? Well, let's just say for the sake of argument that there was people here uh, sitting in the chairs, and you're over 50. I know there's nobody here over 50, but let's just pretend. Those of you are 49 and under. Mm-hmm. You better shake my hand very well when I go out the back door. <laughs> why, why, why does he do this? Let's just say for the sake of argument, there was people here over 50 because the elders should know, the old should know better. Right? Because listening involves perceiving and acting and obeying. So he says, make a conscious, purposeful decision. It calls for action. You don't just sit back. And the elders, you remember, remember when that happened? 
my father had a um, thing about food and stuff, so much so uh, because of this and that. But the reason why was because he went through the Great Depression. He knew it was like to have nothing. He, he remembered the Dust Bowl. He remembered coming out to Sacramento, California, because that's where the jobs were. As a kid, because he was born in 25. So he's like 10 years old. This is so serious that you should tell the generations to come, teach your children this truth, he says. Let them know. So serious, should we take God when troubles come into our lives that we take the time to show the next generation our humble response? That's why you even have the concept in Titus chapter two, older women teaching the younger women, older men teaching the younger men. Why? What do you do that for? Because you say, I remember when it was hard, when I had little children, snotty noses everywhere, and you're not going anywhere, you're staying at home. I understand what that's like, because I was there. But be faithful, because God is gracious and true. Stay faithful, listen, you see? In other words, are we taking the time to teach our kids? And you might say, well, I don't have any children. Spiritual children then. Let it be like that. What's our response to the troubled times in our lives? With our health. With our jobs. In our marriages. In our government. The youth. No offense. Millennials. You're so naive. You have no idea. You think you know. Listen to those who've gone before you. And those of you who've gone before them, take the time to teach them graciously because they don't know. When troubles hit, do we teach them? Listen. He's talking to the elders. Well, then he begins to describe how bad things got in verses 5 through 12, and that's where he moves into the next category of the drinkers. Why in the world would he bring up drinkers? Notice verse five. Awake drunkards and weep. Wail all you wine drinkers on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. What in the world is he doing bringing up drinkers? How is that uh, aspect of society? Well, it's true. It depicts people who are just kind of enjoying life, really enjoying life. But there's something else behind this as well. Just like there were with the elders, the older people, they were the complacent ones. And they represented the attitude of the people and that Judah had become callous, almost indifferent to God. To what extent? Like a drunkard. Complacent in their lives, like a junk, drunk who seeks after wine and doesn't really care about anything else but wine. They just want to enjoy the luxuries of life. They represented the drinkers. And true, so these are the ones. They were there. There was, there was nothing left of the vine, but these, they represented those who were careless. They were unaware of what was happening around them, a whatever type attitude, and that was the attitude that Judah was having. God was saying, wake up, listen. Notice he says they should wail, which means they should mourn. They should weep aloud. A public lamentation you cannot just go about as business, business as usual. This is serious. Instead of enjoying the wine, being out of control, 
face the bitter realization there's nothing left. But then notice he says, sweet wine is cut off from your mouth. This depicts a state of joy and rejoicing, which is not necessarily bad. In the Old Testament, the idea of sweet wine was there was joy. That's what it depicted. It it depicted God's blessing. So when he says it's gone, it's symbolizing the loss of intimacy between lovers, between God and Judah. They had departed from spiritual bliss and Yahweh's divine blessing. They had become callous to him. Mourn, wail. Notice verse six. Why for a nation has come against my land, that is the land of Yahweh, mighty without number. Teeth are like the teeth of a lion. Fangs of a lioness. He's talking about real locusts who devoured everything. But yet what he's gonna do, he's gonna take this imagery this real historical event that actually represents a warring nation that would come against the land we'll see that next week in chapter 2 in other words Joel used a real events the locusts to direct their attention to future events it had destructive power of the locusts so much it had these t- fangs and, and, and these teeth like lions and lionesses Notice verse 7. It's made my vine a waste. Fig tree splinters. Stripped them bare. So bare the branches are white. The bark's gone. Total despair. Elders. Drinkers. Leaders. Now the spiritual leaders. They should wail. They should mourn. Well, how bad should they wail? To what extent? Verse eight, wail like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. They should wail like a young maiden who weeps profusely over the death of her young husband. It shows the gravity of the issue. Instead of the music, the gaiety of a, of a wedding feast, it's a funeral dirge. And they would publicly express this by wearing sackcloth. They publicly express it by wearing goats or camel's hair and he used the image of a young maiden wailing for a young husband to emphasize their broken relationship with Yahweh. Now is the time for you to listen. Now is the time to repent. When troubles hit, listen to God. Seek him out. Mourn that much. He says in verse 9 the priests mourn, the ministers of Yahweh, because the field is ruined, the land mourns, the grain is ruined, the new wine dries up, fresh oil fails. What's going on? They have no ability to carry on the services in the temple, there's nothing left to sacrifice. The grain offering. The peace offerings. Yes, yes, it was their daily sustenance. As priests, yes, it's true. It was beyond that. They had set aside, they had to set aside their covenantal relationship with Yahweh. All the elements necessary to worship Yahweh was no longer there. It was gone. You have nothing to sacrifice to God. There's nothing there. Not to mention the fact 
a bountiful harvest communicated Yahweh's blessing upon his people. A decrease was viewed as him disciplining them. So grain offering signifies a worshiper's gratitude and a restored relationship with Yahweh and the lack of it pointed to God's rejection. Now, I'm not saying that all the trouble that we face from God is him disciplining us. I'm not saying that. He might be. He may not be. But either way, are we listening? Are we attentive? Are we going to his word? Are we crying out to him? Which leads us to the last one, land farmers. Elders, drinkers, leaders, farmers. Notice they dealt with the most essential part of life. He says, verse 11, be ashamed, O farmers. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine dries up, the fig tree fails, pomegranate, palm tree, apple tree, everything is gone. The most essential for life, food, that is in jeopardy. There was nothing to eat. It meant sure death. The guy couldn't even feed his family. Life cannot be sustained without any food. That's why you should desperately seek God. All segments of society have lost all joy, have lost all hope. Notice he says this, the end of verse 12. Yes, indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. Because human experience, the things we experience as humans, it all has spiritual meaning. It does. When troubles hit us like a ton of bricks, that's the time we seek the Lord and his word. Cry out to him with a trustful, repentant attitude. Grieve, wail, grieve, despair is there, mourn because of the unprecedented jaw-dropping experiences that you're facing. And that's what leads us to the next part of the chapter. In verse 13 and following, listen, respond, repent. And notice he's gonna call the spiritual leaders. You spiritual leaders, bring the people together. First, you have a personal response, verse 13. Gird yourselves and lamental priests. Wail the ministers of the altar. So Yahweh, through Joel, he called the people to repent, starting with the priests. It was a call to penitence and prayer. Take action first by setting the example. Have a personal response, you priests, you spiritual leaders. To what extent? There in the middle of verse 13. Come or enter. Spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. For the grain offering and the libation are withheld from the house of your God. So horrible were their circumstances that Yahweh called them to replace their robes with sackcloth and instead of enjoying sleep, you should be up all night praying. Enter the court of the temple, spending the whole night there in sackcloth, have continual uninterrupted intercession, a whole night of prayer. Take this so seriously, you won't even sleep. 
And notice what the Lord says through Joel. There at the end of verse 13. The green offerings are withheld from the house of your God. God was withholding these offerings because he wanted the people to listen. Look, when God is keeping us from worshiping him, then that's the time we truly need to worship him. Then we truly need to seek him in prayer and penitence. So that's why he says to spiritual leaders, you have a personal response. May God work in your heart first and then bring forth a public response. Consecrate, proclaim, gather. Do you see those verbs there in verse 14? Consecrate a fast. Proclaim an assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of Yahweh your God. Fasting. It was a way for them to petition for God to graciously forgive and withhold further calamity and destruction, says one writer. Ask for God's compassion. The call is for the community to humble, have humble dependence upon God. Repent. They should set the example and then stir the people to action. We're going to repent together. We're going to come together and have a public response to God And I understand the rituals could be external. It could just be a ritual. Just be going through the motions. I understand that. But it was an appropriate way for the people to show their humility and submission to God. By the way, Joel later will call them to respond not just externally, not just by rending their garments, but rend your heart. He's going to say that in chapter 2. When troubles hit that's the time to listen. Come together to the temple. God's people come together. As God's people, the leaders come together. The farmers come together. Even the drinkers come together. Everyone comes, and when they came together, what should be their action? Cry out to Yahweh. Notice the end of verse 14. And cry out to Yahweh. That should be the response. the reason to fast, the reason to assemble, the reason to gather. You call out to the covenant-keeping God, a loud prayer in desperate need, and awe and fear of God because of the seriousness of this issue. Ask for God's favor to avert his judgment. Show us mercy, O God. Look, when all these troubles hit our lives, Political things, relationships, jobs, career. Look, in the end, the answer was not going to be found in themselves. The answer is going to be found in God. And God and God alone is where the answer will always be found. It's where the answer can be found. It's in God and crying out to Him. And notice what Joel does at this point. Joel actually starts talking about his own experience. You see, Joel's own experience in verses 16 through 18, he says there in verse 16, has not food been cut off before our eyes, gladness and joy from the house of our God? He experienced these things himself. 
He knew what it was like. He felt it too, where there was no food, there was no joy. Verse 17, the seeds shrivel under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the barns are torn down for the grain is dried up. The absence of food, the seeds lose their ability to germinate because there's no water. So now he's talking about a drought. So not only was there locusts that infiltrated the land, but now there's a drought. And the barns were torn down because there was nothing left in them. You don't have any food to put, to put stuff in the barns. That's why they're tearing down. There was no joy. He was relaying his own experience of trouble. Notice what he says there in verse 18 as well. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there is no pasture for them. When animals have no food or water, they moan and groan so loud you can hear them miles away. And they wander aimlessly looking for water. And notice he says the end of verse 18. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. Sheep are kind of kind of like catfish. They'll eat anything, so to speak, relatively speaking. Even the things that some others that won't eat. But even them, there was nothing for them. And then notice Joel's own response, starting in verse 19. I cry to you. You see that? To you, O Yahweh, I cry. His only hope would be found in Yahweh. Notice he relates the devastation of the drought there at the end of verse 20, uh, excuse me, verse 19. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Verse 20, even the beasts of the field long for you. For the water brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. See, Joel knew. Joel knew it called for a response in his own life. May we respond to the things we know and may we, may we have that response towards God, towards the Lord Jesus Christ as he speaks from his word. In the midst of our troubles, he cried out to God to be merciful. He must be the first to take this warning seriously, to listen. And notice he used Yahweh's name, Yahweh, to appeal to God as the one who keeps his faithful, gracious covenant to his people. There is nothing left. No food, no water, nothing. When troubles hit, that's the time to listen. God wants us to take him seriously. That's why we come to verse 15. Why all of this? God wants us to take him seriously. Look at verse 15. Alas for that day. This is the culmination of it all. What was the ultimate compelling reason God's people should humble themselves? He will judge and he will save these troubles come and God is calling us to take him seriously to listen to seek him out he says for the day of the Lord the day of Yahweh is near it's a day of judgment and salvation depending on how you come to God 
He calls us to seek him, to love him, and worship him, to take him seriously. If you humble yourself, you'll be shown mercy. If you're prideful, you will face judgment. That's why the call is for us to listen. When troubles come, when difficulties in life come, that's the time where God is shaking up our lives and saying, listen to my word, listen to my promises, listen to who I am, the attributes of God, see who I am. This is the essence of responding to the gospel, you realize that. The response to the gospel is you see the justice of God, you see the righteousness of God, you see how you are a rebellious sinner and yet God still shows you love in Jesus who was sent, he died, he rose and your response is I repent, you humble yourself and I trust in you Lord Jesus. That's how you can respond to the gospel today. You can repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. And notice how he describes God here again in verse 15. And it will come as destruction from El Shaddai. What does that mean, El Shaddai? What he means is the omnipotent, invincible God. This present catastrophe is merely a foreshadow of a day yet to come when God will really show his power, really show his invincibility. He is the El Shaddai. And depending on how you come, will he be your comforting almighty God or will he be that wrathful judging God? These catastrophes, these troubles, these things are foreshadowed of things yet to come. The worst is yet to come. They foreshadow the future. And so these troubles that we face remind us of the trouble that is coming into the future the trouble when God will pour out his wrath, his judgment upon this world. But see, if you trust God, you have nothing to fear. We'll look at that later in chapter three. That's kind of the good news. But also keep this in mind though. It's a preview of God's judgment. So we flee to Christ because in him there is hope for everything that troubles our souls. His mercies are anew. God through Joel is lovingly reminding us that he is our God. Turn to God's word, seek Christ, heed his warning and cry out to the Lord in the midst of your troubles, in the midst of your pains, in the midst of your sufferings, in the midst of your difficulties, in the midst of your hardships. That's the time to respond because God is speaking. And notice how the prophet began Verse one, this is important because he says, Joel says, the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Interesting, Joel's name means Yahweh is God. Yahweh will never fail to act according to his character. He will never fail to act according to the, his nature, the character of his name, his reputation in redemption and correction. This is God's word. God is speaking from his word. The word of the Lord that came to Joel. He's calling. Are you listening? So Joel uses this. 
historical events, locusts, droughts, fire, all these things, as a foreshadowing of what Yahweh will do in the future. The day of Yahweh. The day of the Lord. So that when troubles hit us, what is our response? Are we ready to listen to God's word? Are we asking for mercy and grace? Because God in his providence through the circumstances, he gets our attention, right? Amen. We are in total ruin. Oh God, please hear us. We're listening to you. We're taking you seriously. We will trust you. And see, so as you read this chapter, you say, oh, this is horrible. Well, it depends. It's actually good news in the midst of the troubles of this life. How so? Take, for instance, your health. Our bodies aren't going to last forever. Our bodies will dissolve every day when you wake up in the morning. Why in the world does that hurt? Later on in the day, why is that still hurting? Next week, why is that still hurting? That happens. But all kidding aside, our health can take a turn for the worse and yet this is good news because there will be a new body that's coming. Your job. This difficult career will come to an end. It won't always be like this. Family. No family is perfect. But it's a good thing that really this is temporary. Because it teaches us about God's family. It teaches us how to interact with God's family, realizing there will be a time where we will be with family forever without any sin. But politics, oh, whether you love this administration or you hate it, in the end, when you think about it, it doesn't matter. Because every nation will crumble. Every nation will crumble, but we look for God's kingdom. We look to the future when Jesus will reign. And it will be a monarchy, and it will be a cool, perfect, righteous monarchy. What about a church? I hate to tell you there's no perfect church, and this is one of them. That's why we look to Jesus Christ. We look to our Lord and we see <clears throat> excuse me, that our Lord Jesus loves this church and all her blemishes. And he loves his people. The different churches, different churches. We pray for these churches. Jesus loves his people in spite of us. Ourselves. As we said before, you're not going to find the answers in any of these things and you're definitely not going to find the answer in yourself. Our hope is not found inside us. Goodness, no. Some of the things that come out of our hearts is just plain, downright wicked. Because when push comes to shove, all I'm going to think about is me. And you will do the same. The answer is not in ourselves. No, no. It's only found in Jesus Christ. You see, this all points to Jesus. When troubles hit, listen. And so God, let's, we come to you, we bow our heads, and we want to think of you. 
And even now we will prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper together. We thank you that the trouble that came upon Jesus Christ, it brought us salvation. It brought us grace. It brings us your love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for facing, taking that trouble on behalf of sinners.